Welcome to In the Landscape, a podcast on all things landscape design and care related with your hosts, Kate and Charles Sadler. Here we are coming to you from our home studio for another great episode of In the Landscape with Kate and Charles Sadler. We're your happy co-hosts. Good to be here. Yeah, looking Uh forward to recording another great episode. And we are a husband and wife team. We own a landscape design business that does work all over the country and somewhat internationally, which is exciting. And we love branching out into new territory, so to speak. So Mm -hmm. we love learning about the plants of different regions, but we also love the different elements of the business, which mm-hmm. is why we started a podcast, right? <laughs> you know, kind of doing something different and also starting to really make headway on our online education programs. And it's actually something that's sought out now as we're all sort of hunkered down at home. Right. Still, even as the weather's getting nice and plants are starting to do their thing, <laughs> you know, we're kind of, many of us is still at home. Yeah. Some of the Botanic Garden and similar places that have big tulip collections, and people are not seeing those, they are cutting them and they're distributing them to the community. Oh, that's so nice. They go Wave Hill, which is in the Bronx. Mm -hmm. It's a very special, like an eclectic botanic garden is how I describe it. They had done that. That's Uh, really nice. And I don't recall this exact details, but they may have even gone to nursing homes or people in healthcare. So it wasn't just they were just distributing them randomly to the public, but people that would could particularly benefit from them. Oh, that's really lovely. Of course, New York City, near and dear to our hearts. We were both residents of different boroughs at different times, but we met and our first date was there in Central Park, mm-hmm. Manhattan, on a gorgeous day in June, actually. So we're coming up on that little anniversary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so parks have been a big part of our story and now a part of our business and our family life. Our son is getting out in the garden and, you know, we've done episodes on, on designing landscapes for children. And of course, it's near and dear to our hearts as well because he's out there. He loves it, though. He loves to touch the plants. You designed with that in mind so that they're relatively safe. We don't have anything poisonous out there. Or prickly. Right. Yeah. We just planted a vegetable garden. So the one thing we have to be aware of is, is somewhat teaching him garden etiquette. <laughs> you don't take the dirt from the vegetable bed and throw it around the garden right, or the plant yeah yeah he's so so interested in the plants that it can almost be like a little over <laughs> over right. much or he's mowed <laughs> over plants are like ah, with so. a small child mower he's yeah. mowed over some of the very low shrubs we put in yeah it's endlessly entertaining though but you do <laughs> the same with pets i mean you teach them to be gentle with pets and that there's this you know relationship that's being established so that's good it's been a lot of fun and we're, we're getting nice weather here in texas where it's not i mean we've had some pretty warm days but it's not the oppressive heat of mid summer <laughs> i don't even right. know that it's going to be that far away but i think it's coming thunderstorms starting and stuff so it's yeah. very breezy too in texas very breezy, there's often yeah. a prevailing wind it feels like most of the time i think that's why wind energy is such a big industry here it's kind of a, a neat progression for a state that is so energy focused Mm -hmm. and certainly with the wealth of the oil industry in uh, the Gulf. But Texas is finding its way into alternative sources of energy, which is so positive on many levels. Mm -hmm. Indeed. So yeah, thinking of our former home states, our current home state, (laughs) and wherever you are in your neck of the woods, Mm -hmm. I hope you're enjoying that local flavor because that's where we are. So we can't get out and travel you know, far distances, but we can really appreciate the 
what we have right on our own doorstep. So for us, you know, that's a pair of blue jays in the backyard and mockingbirds that are busy competing, I think, for <laughs> claim to our little our little patch of backyard. And there was a spectacular lightning storm last night. Oh, yeah. It was but even in the, in the news. Distance. And they said it was even purple lightning. Is yeah, that well, that was, it kind of looked purplish. And it, it was just, a, it was one of those storms that was so far, you couldn't hear any thunder, but you could see the lightning, which was really spectacular. Right, it went on f- for quite a while. Yeah. Anyway, those are sort of the observations from our little our little backyard. Uh, I know we often do we talk about where you've traveled and what you've seen, and it's interesting to kind of put that in perspective in terms of where we are right now. We have alligators too in our local canal. Oh yeah, that's quite exciting. We have these like drainage canals that are behind the neighborhoods that we live in, and mm-hmm. you can get out and walk and bike ride and actually take the one uh, one of them all the way into a, a regional park that's here. That's right. Part of the bayou system. And uh, yeah, actual alligators live right out there. <laughs> and, and the larger one, what did we say? There's two that we, mm-hmm. we believe that mm-hmm. are regulars. The larger one is maybe eight, nine feet. It looked pretty long. I mean. And the smaller one's maybe six feet. We're aware that they can move faster than one might think, even on land. So we do try to keep a distance, but. Um, and there's a steep bank between yes. the bottom of, of the canal where there's water. During a storm event, it would fill up, but it's mm-hmm. mostly a grassy bank. Yeah. And the alligator's at the bottom of the bank that's maybe 30 feet away or so. Yeah, I'd still rather be able to see them and know that they're there than <laughs> unaware that oh, they're right. there. But I think it's mostly a, li- a live and let live situation. I think mm-hmm. they get enough of uh, whatever it is they eat there. We did, I think saw, we saw a catfish in there. I don't know if they eat those, oh, but right. uh, it was this little little face kind of coming toward the surface of the water. It was oh, so right. bizarre. <laughs> So. I remember there was a, the Monty Don episode. He's in the southern U.S. Maybe oh, yeah, it's like his South American Carolina. Gardens. I can't think of the proper title, but it was the American Gardens series he just did. Right. And his reaction, I mean, it's all relative. Like his reaction to the alligator, the person that was South giving Carolina them the tour yeah. was like, oh, he's like, oh, but there's an alligator. Yeah. And the person's like, oh, yeah, they're, you know, they, they live here. And he, he's still... When it's it's so far, it's a bit foreign to me. Yeah, he was registering the surprise, but he was very like cool about right, it. Right, he was trying to be cool. That <laughs> <laughs> was nice. It was a nice moment. So, um, I mean, we do have an agenda for the episode today, and uh, we'll go ahead and share that here. We're going to talk about the very first episode we ever did was the right tree. Mm-hmm. Of course, if you go back and listen to it, do forgive the sound quality and our, you know, stuttering start to <laughs> learning how to be podcasters, which we're steadily improving, I hope. <laughs> One can only hope. But yeah, if you go back and listen to that, the idea is, you know, if you're going to plant a tree, which is a wonderful ambition, there's so many factors to take into consideration. How big is it going to get in its... What we see a lot, I think what prompted it was the the closeness with which many, many trees are planted to buildings or other trees, and they're not given that full kind of glorious room to stretch out and ultimately reach their intended shape, which can be quite And their full potential. It would be right. like, you know, if, if you had to stop your education in the sixth grade, but, yeah. but you had the ambitions, you wanted to go further, but I said, but no, you, couldn't. you have yeah. to stop here. I'm sorry. You can't read anymore. Yeah. And so it's like, a, it's a stifling. Yeah. Well, and it also leads to expensive maintenance issues. Like very often the deterioration of a tree is not that it's reached the the true end of its natural life, but that it's being impeded or, you know, inhibited in some way and can no longer kind of 
fulfill the life goal that it has. <laughs> and all the ecological organism. benefits a tree produces, which is lower energy because it produces shade, it produces habitat, mm. it produces economic value, it increases property economic value. And so when its potential is stifled, it's, basically, it's like squandering a resource. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Which is a shame. Well, and really, it, it comes down to just a lack of awareness or, or understanding when the tree is planted. Because, of course, you get them and they're quite small. And you think, oh, if you have one, two must be better. So right. <laughs> we're going to sort of roll that concept into today's topic, which, as you may have guessed from the title of the episode, is the right shrub. So we're working our way down in terms of layer Maybe we're not going to discuss ground cover just yet. Maybe there is a right ground cover episode <laughs> in our future. So what is a shrub and what are they used for? And I guess as a non-gardening expert myself, I would wonder, are there plants that are authentic shrubs as opposed to trees that we've just forced into a weird shape? Oh, very good point. How does that work? There's overlap so between trees and shrubs. Ah. And the full, I mean, the full right tree or right shrub is the right plant in the right place. That's like the full sort of mantra that's used in horticulture and in design. So there's overlap, like the service berry, Amalankia. Oh, so, or viburnum. So there's a category of woody plant. So that's something that is woody as opposed to something that's herbaceous, where it more or less dies to the ground, like a hosta at some point. So a woody plant, viburnums and let's say a malenki or serviceberry, they will grow, they can grow to 20 feet tall. So depending who's categorizing it, roughly speaking, a tree is something that's 15 feet or taller. I would even say sometimes it's even 20 feet or taller. It depends on the climate though. Like here in Texas, for various reasons, which I imagine are climate, soil, moisture, even the shade trees, the live oaks, might only get to be 25 feet tall, but they might be 60 feet wide. <laughs> so one of the sort of facets determining whether it's a tree or a shrub, does it have a dominant trunk? Ah, so okay. something that's very shrubby, like a, a witch hazel or winter hazel, there's not a perceivable single trunk. There's many, you know, there's 35 branches or limbs more or less. That's what it is. Okay, that's helpful. And why should we include shrubs in particular in our landscape? And I would say, so one shape that I think many of us are familiar with is the hedge. So mm -hmm. if you're going to have a border of some kind, it's nice to have a hedge. Or you might, I guess I see them a lot as foundation. Is that what you would call it? Like foundation Correct. plantings? Right. Where it's like, like this dense, low thing that's kind of like tucked against the house. But I know from when we moved into this space, we had a large rectangular backyard with nothing in it, like nothing. And the first thing to go in, uh, two trees to kind of give us some height, but a lot of kind of lower shrubby type things. So how would you use them if not for a hedge? Uh, good point. Well, when there's, there's something visually to see, it draws your attention. So if you entered a room and there was one picture on the wall, you're probably going to look at that one picture. Maybe using a room is a good example. So in a room, your eye more or less is going to go to the corners of the room. 
So your eye, more or less like you'd follow the baseboard or the ceiling, or if there's like a chair rail. So your eye follows lines. Mm. And then when there's intersections, like a corner, like and this would hold true for a garden too. Your eye's going to more or less, when there's a corner, your eye's going to stop there briefly. So if you're out in a landscape, if there's a horizon, your eye goes to the horizon, which is generally pleasing, like to be able to see the horizon. Like when you're in a dense, jungly forest, you can't see the horizon. It's a little, it feels like a little unsafe. Mm, mm-hmm. So it's used in feng shui quite a bit, where like if it was inside a room, instead of your eyes stopping in a corner, you'd have like a nice leafy plant in that, like a potted plant in the corner. And so then your eye would pass over that and maybe you direct your eye to a focal point. Maybe there's a, like a, a gold-framed mirror and that's the focal point. Creating outdoor spaces, you know, we say, what's the program? What, are we, what activity do you want to have here? So in our particular backyard, along the back fence that gets shade later in the afternoon and so it's it's a welcome spot Mm, mm -hmm. (laughs) so we created an arc of adirondack chairs there and to make it so just have chairs in the lawn it's better than no chair it's better than nothing but it's still a little austere so we started to place shrubs that are bookends on either end of this arc of chairs Well, and we've alluded to this before. I mean, you mentioned it's pleasing to be able to see the horizon. And I think much of this, much of our interaction with the landscape is very, very, very ancient in terms of our Mm -hmm. evolution and how we interacted with the landscape when we lived in it every day. It was a survival. Not that long ago in terms of, you know, human development. And, And so the idea of having the chairs in the open lawn I mean, it's kind of like the invitation to wildlife that you don't see wildlife if there's just a tree and no kind of not even like low understory, but this mid understory because they're so exposed. And I think that's the way I would feel sitting out there with the chairs, that it's nice. The bookends you're talking about are visually pleasing, but it's also that, you know, when we talked about the outdoor room you have to feel comfortable in the outdoor space or you won't use it. Right. And you feel sort of like sheltered, mm-hmm. I think. And and not just from the sun, because as you say, the shade comes from this, you know, gorgeous set of trees in our neighbor's yard, actually. <laughs> I almost mm-hmm. think that's an episode, how to borrow from your neighbor's yard. <laughs> right. You have that kind of coziness that there's a little bit of protection there and you're not just out for the vultures to, you know, look down on. And one of the trees we planted, an elm tree is planted there's an arc of chairs and then what would you say maybe like 20 feet from that or 25 feet is what will be a large shade tree mm-hmm. so you're there's something to see and then it offers creates depth between where you're seated then there's the tree then there's the house and you're looking back at it well and i think the depth is an important consideration as well because when i think of typical foundation hedges shrubs because they're sort of molded to the house, I'm not even sure you see them necessarily from the inside. And oh, of course, you don't point. want like to, you don't want to obstruct your windows necessarily. But I think there's you planted sort of a wispy palm kind of. I don't. You might know the name. Or correct. Oh, it's a wispy palm. I can't remember the exact <laughs> name. There's. I'm still in. There's probably about in the nursery trade here. I would say there's like twenty or thirty palms, and some of them are shrub palms. And some will become small trees, and then some will become big trees. 
it's got this sort of like palm frond effect that's just peeking up over the windowsill. And it serves to obscure the air conditioning unit, which is outside. So when you're outside, you certainly appreciate that it's there and it kind of conforms to the shape of the house. But from the inside, again, it gives you that sense of depth and perspective because you have these little fronds peeking up right in front of the window. Mm -hmm. And, you know, by no means is it obscuring the view outside. So it's almost, I mean, I guess in terms of design, maybe don't be afraid of seeing those outdoor shrubs that are close to the house. Right. You know, some of them are meant to be, I guess, clipped kind of tights. But there's room there to kind of play around with your expectations, I think, of what should shouldn't be planted. And that's like a conversation we do a lot of specialty pruning, garden care, giving, sort of updating properties where things have become overgrown. And so it's like refocusing. What is the focus? And so I have that conversation a lot. We walk through the home, we look at the views, and the principle, does the shrub want to come down to the height of the windowsill? Which can vary a lot. Like in, in Texas, the homes may are often one story, or you'll do a lot of your living on the first story. And the windowsills can be very low. Mm. They can be 18 inches. It can be 12 inches. Most shrubs are going to be taller than that. Mm-hmm. Where in the Northeast, you have like the homes are inspired by colonial architecture. And you often step up to the front door. So that windowsill could be 40 inches, 60 inches, or 72 inches. You know, So mm-hmm. the architecture of the house, the sun... What's the program? Do you want to see something from inside? Do you want to see that shrub? Or is it just to soften? A foundation planting is often to soften the house to more or less step down from architecture. So it doesn't just go architecture and then paving or lawn. It's a step. So it's, it's visually, it's like a softer effect. It can direct your eye. So let's say there's where you park the car, auto court, a garage, there's a walk, a front landing, front porch. Those are all like different spaces, different architecture. A hedging element or a perennial element can help unify them. It can say, you're going to park your car here and we're going to, this hedge is going to direct you all the way to where you enter the house. Shrubs can really give visual cues are really, they're really great at that. Well, and correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, we're going to start putting together regionally specific online courses about planting using natives. Mm-hmm. And it seems like this is a layer in the landscape that that can be native heavy. You talked about the service berry and the winter hazel. And for us, when we were living in the Northeast, those were like obvious go-tos. I don't know that much about annuals, but I'm guessing because those are like the showy flowery plants that maybe those are less likely to be natives. Unless you're planting something like wildflowers. Right. The annuals are often, they're long blooming, so they're often tropical or subtropical. And so if you live in the subtropics or the tropics, you'd have plants that would bloom a long time. Like I remember being in, many people are familiar, at Christmas time, there's a poinsettia. Mm-hmm. So I remember it being in Thailand and biking down a lane and seeing it was a poinsettia that was a very big woody shrub. It was maybe 12 feet tall. Oh, wow. And it was, I was there. I don't think, I, I think most of the year, my guess is, is that, it, that it's quote unquote like blooming. Yeah. And so that could be your experience. In some climates, those annuals, they could be blooming all year. 
But again, it's almost like the plant that we think of as a small potted item wants to be a shrub so that it, you're mm-hmm. the more familiar you are with the library of shrubs, the more opportunity you have, I think, to kind of get into that native landscaping and think about this special layer that's sort of in between tree and <laughs> plants, you know, in a bed. So, you know, a, a good resource, the uh, plant seller are proven winners. They have a good, it's under how to select the right size shrub. They have a checklist, which I think is some good suggestions. One is, what are the cultural requirements? So that's like, will it grow in your climate and in your garden condition? Number two, size. What is the mature height and width? Ooh, and we've talked a lot about finding this out by going to botanic gardens, taking note mm-hmm. of what you see and what you like. I mean, if you see some of these, like you said, the poinsettia out in the wild, you might have it's like no 12 idea feet tall. how big it's going mean, to get. You would need, I mean, almost a chain thought if you wanted to remove it. It was a massive shrub. Wow. Okay. It would be like a viburnum, if people are familiar with that. It's like very vigorous. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. I think it was one of the fine artists, Winslow Homer. I'm not sure if, I'm, if I have that exactly We're right. We're always but. happy to do corrections. You can write <laughs> into us. <laughs> Connect at kinggardeninc.com. If you, if you know something you'd like us to correct on air, totally happy to do that. You believe me, it's, it happens that we misspeak and we're always happy to go back and correct So it was this very dynamic watercolor. And I think it was Winslow Homer done in the Caribbean. And it was, imagine a masonry wall and the sun is so bright. So the wall is just this blazing white. And then poinsettia, a poinsettia, more or less like small tree, was growing against that with the red flowering elements. It was very striking. So seeing that in a painting, then when I saw it in person in a tropical country, I thought, wow, it's, the artist was recording what was there. It was not a dramatization. No, very interesting. <laughs> nice tie in there. So let's see the size. It takes somewhat being like some rigor, some rigor to really find out what the real size is. Mm. The, I mean, the sellers, the plant, the nursery, I think they, they do their best. And their goal is to sell plants. And the size that the plant grows, it, it's so dependent on the climate, the culture. Well, it, and I mean, maybe the amount of effort you're willing to put in to maintain it. I mean, you can clip, I mean, bonsai tells us you can kind of dictate the size if you want to. But the, the, I think the issue and what we find with some of our clients is in order to keep it the way they had envisioned it, it's more work than they had anticipated. Right. And then number three, function. Are you in need of a screen, foundation planting, focal point, or mixed border companion? It definitely takes some questions. I mean, what we see as we work all over the country, I mean, there's parts of the country where the nursery trade, it does seem in the design that there is more information. So like there's more education. So not without naming names, of course, but there's parts of the country where I see more graceful design. And it's not based on economics either. And so I, would, I wouldn't say it's that, but it's, it's education and information. And there's parts of the country where it does seem like plants are, it's a wrong plant in the wrong, wrong place where plants get very big and then they're butchered more or less to maintain them, as opposed to if it's the right plant. It's more or less going to live its life without too many interventions. And 
That's what we always advocate. <laughs> well, and it can be quite varied. I mean, you know, there are certainly there are like huge tract developments where they're just putting in whatever they can, you know, get on wholesale, I'm sure. Right. And then there are the projects, you know, you've been called in to assist with where they really are. You're doing a thoughtful design and you're having an opportunity. You're still looking to do it in a cost effective way because it is on a larger scale. But but ultimately, and this this goes to sort of our purpose is describing where where the value is going to hurt you down the line that you're mm-hmm. you know you think you're saving money up front but at, at the end maybe it's the homeowners who are going to shoulder the burden or something but it's just kind of getting that word out there in terms right of right there, plant in right place yeah that there's no saving money that if you have if it's a plant that's not the right plant that's not that's not a savings. Yeah, it's not going to work out in the end. Um, now, the other thing that you've observed quite a lot in terms of shrub planting is proximity, and this is similar to what we observed with the trees. Oh, right. So the spacing is very important. So that would be, I mean, being rigorously honest, what height and width is this really going to get to in this climate? And so that's like the benefit of working with a designer, an arborist, or a culturalist. And when we work in a new region, we do our homework. We call up arborists, other designers, other horticulturalists. So the height and the width, and then it's how much sunlight is it getting too. So if it's on the north side of the house, if it's predominantly shady, let's say in the northern hemisphere, that plant might not grow much at all. So there's a lot of factors. Like some of the the shrubs we planted in our backyard in Tarrant, Texas, there's areas where the soil is particularly poor, where it's it's hard to get a even a pick in the soil. And so some of those native shrubs are struggling and they mm-hmm. haven't really done a whole lot. One of the things that you you do as a landscape designer, anyone can do this, but it takes the awareness is to essentially think in four dimensions. So oh, that right. you know, you're you're planning out the spacing and the different heights of the plants and the shapes that they will be, but you're also thinking through and, and we have our garden calendar episode where we kind of go through the idea that it's not just seasons, which I often think is the most obvious to most of us. Like, mm-hmm. oh, the leaves are changing. It must be fall. But this idea of like the, the, the lifespan of the plant and how it will do its, it will be the happiest if you kind of give it the time as well as the space to grow mm-hmm. um, and not trying to push things along too, too much or to pack things into a space too soon. Right. And unfortunately, I mean, one of the things that goes with that, we were watching some other garden episode and somebody wanted that dramatic impact right right away. And they were willing to pay lots and lots of money for fully grown plants. And, mm-hmm. you know, you can do that, but... You know, we do that sometimes, such yeah, projects. W- when called for, but the average gardener isn't going to have that financial <laughs> you have to take special precautions when you the larger the plant well yeah i mean i guess the risks then if it doesn't succeed in the space are even greater right or at least the loss would be greater so and it's maybe human nature like to mark a front door and so there's that's like a a reasonable idea like oh well to have two two plants that mark okay that's like the entrance or or the entrance to a development or to a college campus. I mean, you see it over and over where there'll be a sign for a campus or development, or maybe your own property. You have a like your address. 
then there's something planted that obscures that. Mm-hmm. So that would be a case where it's not the right plant. It maybe it's most shrubs are going to get to be two or three feet tall at a minimum. That's even like a dwarf, low-growing shrub. And if you buy an average shrub, it wants to be five, six feet tall. And so that's often in a conflict to being near a walkway or, or a foundation. or So having, I always advocate a specific cultivar or a variety of a plant which has characteristics to stay smaller. Because what's often needed is really a perennial that's really going to stay 12 inches tall. So I homed in right away on uh, the foundation shrub. Mm-hmm. I just, that's like, I can picture the kind of big green, dark thing against the house. Right. <laughs> um, and then we also talked about hedges or, or creating, like kind of carving out a space, making a delineation there. But the other two styles of hedge use that you mentioned were creating a focal point as well as screening. Mm-hmm. So how, how do those two functions differ? And can you name some plants that you've used in those positions? Okay, good question. When you think of like a casting for a movie or entertainment, there's someone that has distinct characteristics and flair and... It factor. <laughs> that, right, <laughs> charm, pizzazz. <laughs> I mean, they might be temperamental. They might be, uh, you know, not... So that would be a focal point, something mm. that has... some extraordinary characteristics. So would you consider a hydrangea like a shrub? Yes, that would be a good focal oh, okay. point. So yeah. it, I thought of oak leaf hydrangea right away because it has that four season interest as well. It gets that gorgeous fall color and the Yeah, that would, we could even dissect that a little. There would be let's say like a limelight hydrangea that's going to have very large lime colored to white flowers and then into pink. So a plant like that is quite showy. So having there could be a single one. It could be grown into a tree. So that could be a focal point. A hedge of a limelight hydrangea, that could be a focal point. A the oak leaf hydrangea, it's a native to the southern U.S. It has the four season interest is tremendous. It's not particularly showy. So it's if it was a standalone plant, the oak leaf hydrangea, it would be like a, like a subdued standalone plant. So there's plants that are have the characteristics where they're like the leading man or the leading lady. And then there's more the character actors where they're still very interesting. They're not quite to that level. Well, I guess you can tell I'm more of the subdued variety. <laughs> <laughs> it works for me. It's personal preference. Oh, for sure. So there's, I've experienced that where I've come into a property and like work was done previously. I can think of one in particular and there were oak leaf hydrangeas were more or less a hedge of them against a fence and it was too like rough looking for the it wasn't refined enough. Mm. Uh, so really showing showing pictures. I mean when I show a client a picture, I try to show a flattering picture of the plant, but also to be realistic. Mm-hmm. In some of the nursery catalogs, and it's it can be misleading. Mm-hmm. It shows an idealized version of it where it may never look quite that good. And then for 80% of the year it may look nowhere near that. And so I try to, you know, to to bring realism to it. Well, I guess that's like <laughs> kind of shopping for clothes. It doesn't always look the same on me as it does on the model in the catalog, <laughs> but it's just being 100% honest. <laughs> so, so for a focal point, and then within the nursery trade, plants are graded. Like it's the same with fruit. Let's say there's like a double A apple, and then mm-hmm. there's an apple that has bumps and bruises, but you could use it for applesauce. Mm-hmm. So in the nursery trade, there are plants that would be 
it would be characterized as specimen. So that would mean more or less like it's it looks favorable on all sides. There's no conspicuous defects. I mean, like other terms are heavy. So that would mean it's a six foot viburnum, but it's extra dense and full for a six foot. And so you'd pay a premium if it was a six foot viburnum heavy. And so that's very important. Then there's, so there'd be, let's say a heavy would be extra nice. Specimen is exceptionally nice. Then there's just like a straight six foot viburnum. Then there'd be a a six-foot viburnum that would be, let's say, quote-unquote, hedging material. So that is going to have some imperfections, not going to be as full. If you're packing those together, and let's say you're planting them every, every six feet for a hedge, two sides are going to have other plants next to it. You're only going to see two sides. So those are all what's available at a retail nursery. They generally wouldn't have hedging quality. It would, I mean, they might, but it's going to be a little bit better than that but you're going to pay a premium for it. So for professionals, there's a broader range of quality basically available. And I've done that where, I mean, that's part of our work is me visiting nurseries. And when I can't visit, I get very detailed photographs to say, is this, this is going to be a standalone plant? Is it up to a specimen quality to really look like to really have a wow factor? Well, and the good news is if you are patient and you do have a green thumb, you can take some of the, I mean, lower quality plant from the nursery and, and grow it into a nice, healthy, good looking plant. Right, so indeed. Because there is that opportunity. Again, it's not a piece of furniture. So it's not just, oh, it's got a dent in it. You know, it's going to always have that. There is some flexibility there for those listeners who are good plants people <laughs> right. kind of coax it along. Cause that's actually what you do. I mean, you don't necessarily buy the highest quality plant for our own little backyard where we're doing, mm-hmm. we're experimenting with varieties and we're trying to see what will grow for us. And, you know, it's, it's like a little test garden of our own mm-hmm. and therefore, you know, we're not going to put that specimen in there. Um, right. But it tends to look pretty darn good after you've had a little bit of time with the plants. So that's nice pruning and, and watering and, now, most shrubs seem to do, require some pruning. So what is that? We're not the biggest users of mechanical hedge clippers. Um, what are your recommendations for healthy, just general shrub care? Okay, good question. Well, if, the plant, if they're spaced properly so that they can fill out reasonably, that's very important. So if, they're, if the spacing is, is correct and it's a right plant, like I can, I can picture there's a viburnum called a Prague viburnum, like the city of Prague. So I can picture a house. I think there's three of them. It's the back of the house. So it's for interest. There's no windows and the gutter line is maybe nine feet tall. And so they're, sp- they're spaced pretty well. Where the plants are touching each other, it's going to thin out because it's shady. And then if it's to a house or... If it's uh, to a shady side, that's not going to grow a lot. So with shrubs, it'll develop branches that are crossing or rubbing. And so that can, the plant can basically injure itself. And so those can be removed. Some of the interior growth, they'll be die back. So that could be removed. So that's sort of the first step is crossing branches, any dead, dead branches. And so then it's just a healthier plant. There's not areas for decay. If it's a wound or if it's dead, there's, it's an area for insects or decay to enter. And if it's properly spaced, that might be it. 
Then there's what I call conspicuous growth. So that same, let's say, eight-foot viburnum, like group of three, they're developing nicely, maybe six inches a year. It's slowly getting bigger. And then there's a shoot, which mm. goes up another you know, 24 inches above that. And so some light pruning where with, with sharp tools, you'd reach inside. So you're not just pruning it to the edge of the plant. You did that, then there'd be another shoot or mm, another two mm-hmm. shoots, but you reach inside and take it back another foot or so. So the, where you cut it is obscured. And where there's like, let's say, hedges of forsythia or forsythia will do that too. And many plants will, they'll, they'll have normal slow growth. So it's chugging along, there's flowers or fruit, and then there'll be conspicuous growth where it's this shoot, you know, that gets very long. So that's often a stage with the larger shrubs that's beneficial. If you just remove those and you're cutting them back significantly, like where it's reaching inside the canopy, that helps slow the plant's growth down. It looks tidy. It's not using a hedge trimmer and shearing the whole outside of it. It's, it can be tempting to do that, but that encourages more growth. So you're and denser growth. So it gets kind of tight and almost like shades itself out from the inside, which right. does not tend to be good for air circulation and, and what little sunlight might filter in there to kind of stimulate the interior growth. Right. And then the, like the larger tool would be loppers mm. where mm-hmm. they're, let's say, 18 inches, 24 inches, 30 inches, large handles, a large bypass blade. Mm-hmm. And you can get a lot done, you know, no matter what your strength is, really the high quality tools hand saws, you can rapidly take in this approach where you're, you're just thinning some of the conspicuous growth that slows the plant. Down. It can look, you can improve the appearance pretty quickly with a minimal amount of work. Great. And then you tend to use hand shears. Oh, right. Like for, for shaping, for plants that have smaller leaves, mm-hmm. like hollies, boxwoods, or plants that would be true. Where then you can do some thinning, take out the big growth, and then lightly shear it. Mm-hmm. All good stuff. So we're getting sort of close to the end of our episode here. Is there anything we haven't covered or anything you'd want to share with our listeners? Well, let's see. There are definitely ground cover and low shrubs, like the the fragrant sumac is a one I've talked about a lot. So it's ecologically beneficial. It's going to provide pollinators are going to like it, birds and bees. It'll help slow down erosion because they're very densely rooted. Plants like that, they can be planted to fill in. So even if it's getting to, let's say, 30 inches tall, if they're going to crowd out weeds. So that's an important component of if it's the right shrub and they're planted close enough, there's not going to be much maintenance. There's not going to be many weeds. And if it's growing to the size you want, there's not going to be much pruning. I mean, like the enemy to me is these giant beds of mulch, which doesn't really serve any purpose. And you have to keep replenishing them and weeding them. If it's the right shrub in the right place, it can be a plant instead of having lawn where there is, it's more or less forming a ground cover. And of course, we have our design principle. So what would you suggest our listeners consider this week? I think a good one would be scale, which I don't know if we've done that before, but you can't talk about scale too much. <laughs> All these principles just sort of interweave. So it's really just a fun way to kind of cap the episode. But So scale, it's, I mean, it's being rigorously honest, really, what is the right size? Mm. And it might not be obvious. There's lots of uh, sort of do-it-yourself 
groups and such for curb appeal. And in those cases, there's often trees in an existing landscape, which is a good scale. And then there's very low plants, like, like an annual that's 10 inches mm-hmm. tall. And then, so what's often missing, so a foundation plant is maybe up to about three feet. Mm-hmm. The larger scale, when you see beautiful estates or college campuses, that scale of shrub that's six to eight feet tall, that adds a lot of impact, mm-hmm. and so, but in the right place. So you're not blocking a window or a doorway or a mm-hmm. path, and that can help frame like having a service barrier or a, which is, so it's, let's say it'll get to be 15 feet tall on the end of the house as a bookend, and it, it, it visually extends the building. So it feels more horizontal, which is, which is very pleasing to our eye. And then repeating it. So maybe that same service berry, there are a group of three of those, which is between the house and the road, where it's just the open lawn. And so you offer some depth, um, has plenty of room to grow. So the, now let's say that same, if you had knockout roses that were 30 inches tall out in the middle of the lawn and you had three of them, it would look silly. It would look like it was a mistake. It's not enough. So the scale, yeah, it's really being very rigorous, really what size is needed, and then going for it. Now, those service berries, you could buy them small, uh, so it could be economical, but knowing eventually that that will be the right size. Great. Well, that's another episode from us. We hope you enjoy hearing us week to week. Thank you so much. We hope you'll rate, review, subscribe, all the, all the things. Reach out to us. Let us know if you have questions. Maybe check out some of our online courses if you're looking for something to do while we're required to be home and just engage with us. That's what we look forward to in terms of building this community through the podcast and mm-hmm. getting to connect with people out in the world. So really, really wonderful. We look forward to coming up with another exciting episode for next week. And in the meantime, we'll try to get out in our own little landscape sometime soon. We hope you can as well. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you. Bye-bye. In the Landscape is brought to you by King Garden, a full-service landscape design, care, and education company. Enjoying what you hear on our podcast? We encourage you to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen. We'd love to hear from you, so drop us a line at connect at kinggardeninc.com. We welcome show ideas, gardening and design questions, and always corrections. We travel all over North America giving garden talks and leading trainings. Check us out at kinggardeninc.com for our speaking details. And also take a look at our online course offerings for more in-depth explorations of topics covered on our show.